0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show today. We've got our friend Chris Green back on the podcast. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this one with Chris. There's some substantial content that you're about to hear. So uh, look forward to that. Before we do get to Chris, let me tell you about Northeastern Seminary. Now perhaps you are exploring a new opportunity to serve or have been invested in ministry for years or you're somewhere in between. This is where Northeastern Seminary meets you. Between reading scripture and knowing how to live a life of faith, between having an idea of where the church is headed and being on a plan and articulate a vision, between relying on what you already know and being open to learning from others throughout the world. If you find yourself in this sacred space, the degree and certificate programs at Northeastern Seminary are designed to equip you in the next phase of your ministry. Whether you have been called to be a faithful teacher, transformational leader, missional pastor, or biblical peacemaker, you can find a course of study that will prepare you to fulfill your purpose in God's creative and redemptive work in the world at Northeastern Seminary. And Esau McCauley, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, who you guys loved, he could be one of your professors. Wouldn't that be amazing? For more information, go to nes.edu calling nes.edu slash calling go check them out all right now we get to dr chris green all right friends welcome back to the show today we have the man some of you know him as the world's smartest pentecostal some know him as the best dressed pentecostal some know him as the victor of the harvard verse holy spirit podcast i simply know him as chris green how are you chris I'm,
1: I'm doing well. You're going to have to stop with that smartest. I mean, I think people will let me get by with the best dressed because yeah. nobody in my world cares. but
0: And, and no one's going to argue with that one.
1: Yeah, right, yeah, that's kind of the that's the inarguable one, right? I guess. <laughs> I, and all that means is is I have vanity that no one else in my world has. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, nobody will argue with that. My vanity knows no no bounds.
0: Well, I mean, saying you're the best dressed Pentecostal is like saying you have the fastest minivan. Right. I mean, it's cool, but it's... Well, I like that, right? Yeah, it's, it's you know... But uh, you've gone to a... You're at a new university. You're a new, new place. I am, yes. Uh, just, just moved. And so, I don't know if, like, do your students and do your coworkers know that these are the monikers that you used to uh, have placed upon your shoulders?
1: So, my coworkers more than my students. Uh, so, they they reached out to me for this job. So, they had, they probably, because of your podcast, I heard that <laughs> <God>. <laughs> someone heard... Heard you and thought, oh, B- believe it or not, though, that actually did come up.
0: Are you so, serious?
1: I'm oh, my serious. goodness.
0: That makes me so happy.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what led up to it. But <laughs> one of the one of the guys had heard that I'd been referred to as that from Twitter. He knew it from Twitter. I think.
0: <laughs> oh, that but. makes me so happy. I can only imagine if they listen to the podcast They're like, hey, he can deal with smart aleck kids. Uh, I mean, he can deal with smart aleck <laughs> preachers. I mean, he, he, he'll be fine in the uh, classroom.
1: Yeah, let's let's just assume that's how it went down.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, let me say you're welcome for your new job. Uh, I'm glad. I I was basically a reference. That's basically what the podcast was. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I know the podcast has done a lot of things. First time got someone a job. So um, I'm really happy about that. That you know
1: of. I'm sure sure you've helped other people you don't even know about yet.
0: (laughs) That's outstanding. Okay, and so now, uh, tell me the name of the university again.
1: Southeastern University.
0: Southeastern, and that's a Pentecostal
1: it is. It's it's an Assemblies of God university. Okay. It's a liberal arts school, and most of our students are not Assemblies of God, and most of our faculty are not. Okay. But it is officially an Assemblies school. Yes. And
0: so you're teaching undergrad and grad students. Mm-hmm. Mostly graduate, but okay. some undergrad classes. Yeah. What's the? Uh, did you teach grad students before?
1: Both. I've okay. Done, uh, grads. My previous job was mostly was only grad. Okay. Prior to that, I taught mostly undergrad.
0: Okay. Do you have a preference, undergrad versus grad? No,
1: no, I just, as long as students are interested, I'm, I'm happy
0: to, to, to teach. Okay, well, good, good. Uh, okay, so you've been there a month now, you got the new job, and you had a book that came out. I guess it was, it's been a while, like June, is that right? I think so. Okay. I had
1: two that came out in the summer, but I don't remember which which months they came out. The Jensen book yeah, and the and companion God book. Yeah, yeah, so yeah.
0: the Companion for Jensen one. I don't have any questions for that one. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I, I haven't read it. But um, it's,
1: the old love this, so it's called The End is Music, which is
0: mm-hmm.
1: a line from Jensen Systematics, but everyone in my family mockingly calls it The Sound of Music. <laughs> so, like, constantly, my daughter especially, she's like, oh, that's your Sound of Music book.
0: That's great.
1: Um, so, yeah, we'll just, we'll just table Sound of Music and go right to Surprise by God. Okay,
0: it's, I, if I would have known that, I feel like I'd, would have gone the other direction if I knew that was on the table. What do, your, what do your kids call surprised by God? Which the subtitle is how and why, what we think about the divine matters. Have they come up with something clever for that one?
1: Well, uh, they just make, they add in different nouns. So they're surprised by lunch. They're surprised <laughs> by me being home from work, like constantly being mocked for mm-hmm. the surprised by.
0: Oh, that's nice. I mean, yeah, you got a good family. It sounds like they take good care of you.
1: They do. They absolutely do, and friends too. I have so many people around me. They see my vanity and they realize I need to be humbled.
0: <laughs> but do you ever say, "Kids, do you know who I am? I'm the world's smartest and best dressed Pentecostal."
1: <laughs> nope, never done that. Uh, I feel like but that would make my made kids him- <laughs> are. Yeah, they're, they're not going to be impressed. I they can won't. promise you that. Especially my daughter. She's a teenager. Mm. And all of the cliches about raising a teenager are true, it sure. turns
0: out. Okay, what, uh, what's her age? She's 13. 14, okay. 14. 14. 14. Okay, I've got a 10-year-old. What do I need to brace myself for over the next four years?
1: Oh, man, you have no idea <laughs> what you're <hitting laughs> No! <for. laughs> no, I don't want to <laughs> hear that. have no idea. Like, she turned 13, and she literally became a different person. Like, oh, no. I raised one child from oh, age no. zero to 12, and now I have a new child, an entirely new person is in living in my house.
0: Just a new person?
1: Absolutely. Any, totally new.
0: Any any ways to, like, thwart that? Because I really like the person I have right now in my oldest yeah, daughter's bedroom. I have
1: no, no, I have no, no idea. Don't. Yeah, I mean, I have, if anyone of your listeners is an expert, they can Kevin. let me know but I don't, I don't, I don't know have what that is. I'm just trying to survive right
0: now. Ooh, okay. All right. 14. That's uh, okay. All right. I'm going to enjoy these next two years because it might be the last two years with this iteration of the human being known as Avery. Okay.
1: That's right. I, it will be, I'm sure.
0: Mm. Well, that's depressing.
1: That's depressing. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. I go everywhere spreading cheer. Are,
0: hey, are you, are assemblies, assemblies of God people allowed to do the Enneagram? Are you guys allowed yeah, to do that?
1: Sure, I'm pretty sure in a lot of the circles they're required. To do. Oh, they
0: are. Okay. Oh yeah. Are you on, like are you in that circle? Do you-
1: Not. R- I'm kind of on the the periphery of that circle. I have I have taken an enneagram test. I, is that what you call them? A test?
0: Sure. Yeah. They, I mean-
1: it said I was a four, and there are people oh, around me who are enneagram experts, and they they claim that that's true.
0: Okay, I could see that. So.
1: That's that's okay. the word on the
0: street. Okay, well, we will keep this interview very authentic and fully engaged <laughs> with all of your emotions, and we we want you to be on point. So no more laughing. Everything will be just yeah. heartfelt emotions and serious.
1: Well, yeah, th- yeah, I will say about this. I have a, a couple of friends who are constantly bringing up the Enneagram, and I am a little dubious, and so they always say that's exactly how a four would respond, because... <clears throat> I'm supposed to want to be unique.
0: Yep.
1: I can't stand the idea that I'm a type. Mm-hmm. So apparently that's, that just that's, confirms their suspicions. Yep. That's, that's true.
0: But you're in the um, four with the five wing, I assume is probably what you yeah. are. Uh, yeah. So BZ fourth, five wing, Richard Beck, five with the four ring, Ian Cron fourth, five wing. Uh, like that's, there's good company to be in there. Like yeah, that's a solid group. I of like people. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Are you, are you in Brian's Zon? do you guys know each other? Yeah, okay. yeah, we know each other pretty well. Okay, I figured you would. Yeah, there you go. Is he—he's not—Word he, of Faith? How is that related? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. give me the breakdown. Like, uh, an idiot's guide to, like, the charismatic movement. Like, Pentecostals, uh, Word of Faith, Assemblies of God. W- what's the difference between those three, three different titles?
1: Okay, so the Assemblies of God are part of what are called classical Pentecostals. hmm so basically, classical Pentecostals are the Pentecostals that come from the Azusa Street Revival yep. in 1906. Mm-hmm. And the Symbols of God, the Church of God, uh, Pentecostal Holiness Church, classical Pentecostal denominations belong there. Then the Charismatic Word of Faith movement is a kind of derivative. Okay. So it comes after that. Okay. And Some people group them as Neo-Pentecostals, so it's kind of a a second movement, and separate Classical Pentecostals from Neo-Pentecostals, and then talk about the broader Charismatic movement, so like Roman Catholic Charismatics and Lutheran Charismatics, so that you you end up with kind of three major groups, Classical Pentecostals, Neo-Pentecostals, including Word of Faith, Mm -hmm. and then the Charismatics. So that's generally... That's a pretty familiar breakdown.
0: Gotcha. And so BZ, I guess when it's church, is it right to say like more word of faithy than it is right now? When In that iteration? It used to be. Okay. In, yeah, like yeah. in, in that iteration of BZ, he was friends with, or he's still friends with him, but more associated with like the Hillsong people, because they would be Hillsong. So
1: they, they they actually are an Assemblies of God church that, that have kind of outgrown that denomination as i understand okay. it. i mean i don't know much about the politics or okay. any of that but from what i understand it's a it's an assemblies of god church but their spirituality kind of exceeds classical pentecostal spirituality gotcha so these categories are not they're not airtight and yeah. churches that are you know in one way belong to one of those traditions they can easily shift to yeah other other traditions or other spiritualities gotcha
0: as someone who's part of the churches of christ i have this conversation all the time of there's so many different versions of this and we look and we present yeah. and we act different we're all from the same kind of stream of christianity but it just it, there, there there's a very loose association because in ours we have no denominational headquarters saying these are the lines yeah, this is what's right. out of line and so every, no centralization Yeah, right. and you guys don't have that either so
1: the Assemblies of God is more congregational, but they do have a headquarters, a okay. denominational center. It's not an Episcopalian form yeah. of government, but it can be pretty strong. I mean, they can, at times, assert pretty, pretty strong influence over their churches on things like property and ordination, mm-hmm. et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Um, but still, there's an incredible variety, incredible variety in the churches. You know, it's, it's not—if it, uh, you hear about an Assemblies of God church— You'd have to go there to find out what, what that means for them. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, same thing with my my drive too. You got to go there. Uh, so, um, and so th- that's why, like in my tradition, like you can have one church that looks like what we would refer to as like, oh, that's what a lot of our churches look like in the 1980s. They haven't changed at all, and others have yeah. moved forward. They some present like a a Bible church. Some look like um, more high church, and all these yep. different iterations because they're always like moving forward in people's like understanding of who God is, is changing. And one of the things that you talk about, this is the transition (laughs) to the book, uh, in the book is that um, you were raised... Okay, here's your quote. Uh, I was raised to think of God in specific terms and to expect God to act in particular ways. Now most, if not all of those terms and ways are lost to me, but only because God always proves to be more than those concepts and expectations can handle, uh, even if I am not always pleased to find this happening. Uh, so, So you... Describing this like transformation of who you understood God to be, it seems like yeah. that. I think that's part of the reason churches changed and they look different. It's like BZ's story of yeah. like water to wine. That's what he literally tells in that book. Why did, Why is this an archetype of so many people's spiritual journey of this? I don't want to say radical, but a, a substantive transformation or understanding of who God is.
1: Yeah, I, well, I would say, I think for me, it was radical. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say. Everything that I was taught changed for me, even the things that seemed to stay the same. I didn't mean the same thing by them anymore mm-hmm. you know so i I grew up affirming that Jesus is God, and I still do, yep. but I don't mean the same things by, by that that I did then if i if I even knew what I meant then uh I don't know why this happens I don't know if it I'm not sure what generalizations are there I mean, I know for me. I realized sometime in college that my life in the world and the world that I was experiencing and the way I'd been raised to think of God, all of that couldn't couldn't hold together. Hmm. Like, there was no way for me to be the person I was becoming in the world as I knew it with the beliefs that I'd been given. I I couldn't have all hmm. that.
0: Can, can you flush that together. out? Like, what couldn't you hold together?
1: Well, so the beliefs and practices I'd been given just proved – they were too thin, mm-hmm. too flimsy, too shallow for me. And the older I got, and the more I kind of faced the way the world actually is, the more I realized that there had to be there had to be some depth and some nuance mm-hmm. uh, that I hadn't encountered before. Hmm. You know that I hadn't learned, and there was, it turns out <laughs> there is. But the. You know, I, I think, as I said in the book, I don't—everything I, changed for me. I mean, yeah. and I think—and I'm grateful for it, but it was still painful in the process. Mm-hmm. And, and some things are still changing.
0: Yeah. So that, that's my story as well. Like, the, what I grew up with is not what sustained my faith. And yeah, in some ways it can be heard as a critique of those who were leading and creating, yeah. like, the faith communities that, that, that raised us. But I also yeah. know that you you're an academic but you're also involved in the church you're a preacher and yeah. are you are you officially connected with the church down there or are you still like are you just traveling around or do you have do you have- yeah
1: i'm still a, a teaching pastor at sanctuary church in Tulsa, so I fly back there periodically to speak nice. um i I attend a church here but i'm not on cates gotcha. but
0: but you're not just an an academic you're you're a pastor as well no, yeah and I've- so people eventually are going to have the same story told again in 50 years, and they will have been raised in churches that you and I have led, have, yeah. have shaped. Why do you think it's not like, hey, this keeps on happening? Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years, but we still have this sort of ongoing, like, yeah, that's not it anymore. There's more to it.
1: Yeah, well, so I think there are lots of forms of this problem. I think. So let's say you raised Catholic or Lutheran or Anglican. Mm -hmm. Your tradition has the resources, but that doesn't mean that you're aware of them or that the people who pass those traditions on to you even know what they have. Mm -hmm. But the tradition actually has those riches. I mean, there's liturgy, there's poetry, there's architecture, theology. I mean, there are resources there. And there's a long enough history that you have stories of people and communities that you can draw on, too. You have the lives of the saints Mm -hmm. and and holy communities. In a tradition like mine that's 100 years old, you don't have enough time for much of that to develop. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do have some quote-unquote saints, although, of course, we don't mean by that the same thing the Roman Church means. But we do have those kind of exemplary people, a few of them, and we do have some theological tradition, but, I mean, we're pretty thin compared to those older traditions Mm. and that's some of the problem i think and i mean there's nothing we can do about that i mean it's just the facts of the case right so i I think you know in a in a thousand years your tradition and mine if they still exist they they will have they'll have a lot more depth and complexity than they do now Mm -hmm. and and so but that still doesn't mean that people won't have a crisis it just won't be the crisis you and i are having which I think the crisis, not to put my story onto you, but I think the crisis was kind of learning that there wasn't enough in what I had been given to really live a mature faith, a, a, a mature life with. Mm-hmm. Like I, something about, I mean, this is a little too simple, but it was almost as if I'd been given faith, a belief system that would work for a child, but not for an adult. Mm-hmm. And then I became an adult. Yeah. Yeah. That- that's a little too simple, but that's pretty close. I,
0: I think that's. I mean, it's a portable way of understanding it in ways that the complexity would probably prevent that. But yeah, like it it, it started this way. It, it worked to get you going, but it's not going to sustain you to, to keep going. I, I think your observation about uh, us being a part of different, in, like, baby traditions like we only have 100 years the closest thing my tradition has to a saint is max lucado and like that counts i mean we we got max so that's awesome that's all we need honestly we're good um one day you'll get your own max lucado but uh actually his church took the name off the sign so i don't know if we keep him anymore but you're right like we both have these young traditions that we're part of a thousand years from now theoretically if our if our streams are still there There will be different issues for us, but um, what do you think, in the meantime, we can do to kind of offset the limitations of being a part of such a young tradition? Are are there things that we can—can we borrow from others, or what could we do?
1: Yeah, I don't—I mean, I know you're not using the word technically, but I don't think we should think of it as borrowing. I think we should recognize that we belong to the church. Mm -hmm. So we're not really taking stuff that belongs to other people we are inheriting gifts that are there for us and they are ours as people of God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so for me, I, I don't have a lot at stake in the preservation of my tradition as such. These are the people that I live with. And I think there is, there are parts of our tradition that need to be passed on to the rest of the church, but we also need to receive from the rest of the church. And, I'm I think I'm happy I think I am anyway. I'm happy kind of whatever happens from that point, you mm-hmm. know, if what that whatever that means for my tradition. So I think living in this kind of openness to the wisdom of the wider church in not not in the sense of you know, we live in our own house and they live in their own house and sometimes we borrow from them. But we're all really living in the same house. Mm. We just are in different rooms yeah. maybe. And so there's a lot that we share that we're not I don't want to say taking advantage of, but that we're not, we don't appreciate and we're not, we're not living. Mm-hmm. In, and I think to our detriment,
0: yeah, I agree. You know, and, and I, I find yeah, it but, in my tradition, we were very sectarian. We thought we were in the only house. And so we were completely yeah. oblivious to the, Same okay. For us. <laughs> So it, it, it's changing for y'all. My tradition now, like our church, loves the stuff that we do. We have a couple of Baptist churches. We do some uh, stuff with on Good Friday, and we have a method or a, an Episcopal church across the street that we've been partnered with on a handful of things. Our church seems to really love that. Whereas generations, and maybe even just fifteen years before, like that would have never been an option. Why? Why mm-hmm. do you see that? So, so maybe a, a more ecumenical spirit. Why do you think that's emerging in your tribe?
1: Well, I hope it's the work of the spirit, honestly, but in terms of how the spirit is getting that done, I think some of it is I mean, obviously there are all kinds of factors, many of them I'm sure I don't recognize, but I I think some of it is the globalism Mm. and globalization and the kinds of conversations that are made possible by, by media. So the fact that through the internet and 24-hour cable, we have access to one another across lines of tradition that we've just never had before at the lay level, right? So it's not just the academics or, you know, the representatives for the tradition who are engaging across the lines, but, you know, there are people who, you know, you have Pentecostals who love watching Church of Christ or Baptist teachers on Christian television, right? And so... And vice versa. You've got people who attend Baptist churches who are watching T.D. Jakes or whomever, right? And so I think I think that's a lot of it. It just kind of breaks down barriers because we encounter one yeah, another.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It's, it's easier to be sectarian when you don't know your neighbors. It's easier yeah. to kind of stay in this naivete of, like, we're the only ones when you don't see the Spirit working and, like, the Spirit— in the same way that in Acts, like the Spirit confirms the work. Uh, you see the confirmation of God's Spirit involved in these other communities, so you can't just like jettison them from, from the family. Okay, right. I want to, hard transition here, because I want to get to this. Um, in your book, you have some fascinating stuff about contemplation. And uh, let's do with this quote. Uh, contemplation of the divine nature and character, then, is a form of rebellion against the tyranny of the practical, and precisely in that way, it is a refusal to live fearfully contemplation moves us beyond thinking of God as useful as if he were a resource we draw on to make our lives what we have been told they should be okay so you have this like beautiful picture of contemplation I think one of the definitions you give is attentional living it's not like I'm I'm living as a monk but this intentional living right now yes and right. it is this deeply formative thing uh, that moves us away from the tyranny of practical and fearful living tell me how that happens
1: yeah, so I think, I think first, at least people in the world as I know it, the people in my tribe and the tribes I, I travel in, I think they, they imagine God as a transactional mm-hmm. God. He's a source of everything they think they need to make the life they think they need to make. And the question is, how do we get those things mm-hmm. from him? And so different, different tribes have different theories about how you get God to get you the things you need. And, you know, all kinds of Pentecostals, you know, have, have connected that to the intensity of your faith or your sacrifice or your obedience mm-hmm. or your prayer. And one of the things that I think that collapsed for me was a belief in in that transactional God and the usefulness mm-hmm. of God. I, I think it turns out God's not very useful in terms of making my life what I mm-hmm. want it to be. And I think... He, just, he doesn't come through every time in the sense that I was taught as a child he would. Mm-hmm. And I think coming to terms with that meant either I was going to reject belief in God altogether or I was going to try to listen to a wisdom that said maybe something else is going on. And that's what I found in the ancient church and in people like Augustine and Aquinas. I, I found in the Christian theological and spiritual tradition, A wisdom that said that's not what God is doing. And I think that's what led me to what I'm calling contemplation or contemplative spirituality, which is, you know, that God is not useful, but God is beautiful Mm -hmm. and God is good. And his way of of bringing good to pass in our life, it's just a different economy. It doesn't work the way that we've expected it to work.
0: And when you're saying not useful, you're meaning if I pray then I'm not going to be sick and I'm going to get the job and like kind of like God gives me the American dream. Is that part of the usefulness in your mind?
1: Yeah. So so let me give you this is again a little too simple, but imagine I mean there are Pentecostals who who would hold that, you know, if you're sick you God wants to heal you and if you have faith, adequate faith, you will be healed every time without exception and that just isn't true <laughs> right and i think it isn't true in experience but it also isn't true theologically right it doesn't it doesn't hold theologically mm-hmm. and part of what i'm saying is if you're sick pray pray for god to heal you but if it doesn't happen don't read too much into that because it's not it doesn't say much either mm-hmm. way and we don't we the, what I what I say to my students all the time is life is incredibly complex, like w- far more complex than we can imagine, and God is a mystery. So we pretty much never know what's going on because there's what's happening, which is so complex, and then there's the mystery of God's work in what's happening, which we have no idea mm-hmm. about. And so, you know, I I think I'm perfectly happy for people to pray for God to let it rain or heal somebody who's sick or. Speak to them about what job they should take. I don't have a problem with any of that. I just don't think we can tell people that that will always happen mm-hmm. for them.
0: What do you What do you see the function of prayer being in those times of okay, there's a drought, or maybe more tangibly for most of us who aren't in agriculture, like when someone's sick, or you know, when you're out of a job, or like when your house can't sell. How, how do you like prescribe that to someone? Like. Why Why should I pray if God's not always useful and God's not going to give me that?
1: Yeah, because I, first, I don't know that prayer always has a purpose. I, I mean, does loving my wife have a purpose? Mm. I mean, I, I love her. And loving my children, I don't, I don't think about loving them because it produces something. I love them. And we mm. should, I think, and at least on some of my better days, I think I love God. And, and so I pray. I, I, I do think God answers prayer. I, I'm not one of those people who would simply say, prayer changes us, it doesn't change things. I think God incorporates prayer into his sovereign work in the world. I don't know how he does, but I think he does mm-hmm. do that. I think Aquinas is really helpful on that on mm-hmm. that front. But I, I just don't think it's mechanistic at all. I don't think that it's predictive yeah. at all. Predictable at all. And I think we should learn to kind of lean into that. And and appreci- I guess for me, to use Augustine's category, I, we should care more about the beauty of God and less about the usefulness of God's yeah. power. And we should pray not because it has a purpose, but because we love God and we
0: love people. That's really good. That's Love doesn't always have a purpose. That Yes, that's it. Uh, here's a, another quote in your section or on the subject of contemplation. You say nothing is as humanizing, as sanctifying, as contemplating the beauty of God and the glory he shares with our neighbor. Tell me about the humanizing process of it.
1: Yeah, so I don't, I don't want this to seem too mysterious or uh, kind of unreachable. I mean, for me, this is, is pretty straightforward. There's something about contemplating what Scripture and the Christian spiritual tradition has said about God and how much God loves my neighbor, that if I do it well, makes me aware of mm-hmm. my neighbor, makes me aware of that person in ways I wouldn't have been aware of them before. I mean, I think it's, you know, we, we have this way of talking where we talk about, we say we see someone in their best light. I think Christian theology puts people in their best light. When mm-hmm. it's done well, it puts people in their best light. And suddenly you're seeing them. And you know, imagine you take a a picture of someone in in good lighting, and you can see the person in a certain way. But if it, if the lighting is poor, you know the picture is pretty much mm-hmm. worthless. And so I, I think of Christian theology as kind of the lighting for the photograph. It's just helping us yeah, see people.
0: That's good. Yeah, it seems that love of God always leads to the love of the people around you. The like the image of yes. God from the very beginning has always been connected to how we treat people. Like this is post flood where they says you yeah. you don't take life of someone else because that person is the image of God inside of them. Like it's always like good yeah. theology leads to good like being a good human being, being a good neighbor. Absolutely. The
1: yeah, I mean that you get you got that astonishing passage in Romans where Paul says Romans eight that God gave up His Son for us. And if his son is one with him, he's giving himself up for us, which means that God would rather not be God at all than be God without us, which I think is a line in the book
0: somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's a good one.
1: That God, God wants us and loves us. I, I don't think we take that seriously mm-hmm. enough. I mean, a lot of times we talk about God doing everything for God's glory, but Paul in Corinthians says God did everything mm-hmm. for our glory. And so I think there's a way, I mean, of course, that is also mm-hmm. God's glory, but there is, it's just, I mean, I think Jensen, Robert Jensen, I wrote a book, wrote a book about, he He has, in his commentary on Song of Songs, he talks a lot about the way in which the the, the groom, God, finds the bride, us, lovely. And he says, we need to take that seriously, that we find God beautiful, but God finds mm-hmm. us beautiful.
0: That's good news. I think... Yeah, it is goodness. Yeah, Uh, okay. So contemplation—it's humanizing. uh, It it moves us to leave behind this idea of like God as like this commodity that I contort for my own interest. And okay, let me tell you the one of the things that I regret most that I said in the podcast. And so, like, I have three hundred plus episodes now, and like one of the very very first ones. So this is like pre this is before i knew you like i didn't know you like th- this is nothing to do with you but it was before i knew you so don't take this personally but i made a, a terrible comment before i really knew any pentecostals and i said that the mystics deliver what the charismatics offer and i i think mm. healthier like
1: that's an interesting mistake to make i mean it probably is uncharitable. it's it's
0: unshare yeah. the same way that, like you could talk about my tradition and like kind of pick up the worst virtues that we have and go, okay, or worst parts of us. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because charismatic in that moment is the uh, placeholder for the idea that God is transactional. Like, if I'm going to pray, then you're going to make me no longer sick and give me the job and all that stuff. And I I think this sort of like contemplative, to use your language here of contemplation, like it it delivers God. Like contemplation connects us to God. Yes. The other sort of like transactional stuff, which is probably a better word than to like, encompass an entire tradition, uh, this transactional stuff is always going to disappoint us because we don't get it.
1: No, uh, right. Yes, I think that's exactly yeah. right. Or And more than, I think what scares me the most is not the people who don't get what they're asking for and then mm-hmm. realize it. And, but although they're thrown into crisis, of course. I mean, people who are raised to think God will provide everything that they need whenever they need it. I mean, they're eventually going to find out yeah. that's not true. And... It does throw them into crisis, but that's better than the alternative, which is those things happen and they refuse to admit the truth of oh, what's um, happening to them, which is far yeah. scarier for me. And, and I have so many people that I love that are yeah. right there. Like they cannot see life for what it is because to see life for what it is would be to admit that the faith that they've structured for themselves is
0: is, yeah. is broken.
1: They, they can't, for whatever reason, they, they can't bring themselves. And, to and I've never
0: that. connected that continued success, however you define that, can often be the biggest obstacle to spiritual formation because it doesn't, it doesn't make no, you ask the yeah. questions. Like, that's why all the texts in the Bible have the problematically positive view of suffering because it strips away the, yes. the idealism and, and, and in some ways the lies that we can hold on to uh, when things are comfortable.
1: Uh, right. So mean, it's a case like this, I mean, to go back to the healing example, you know, there are a lot of people who it seems like for them it always works. Not that they're always healed, but they just happen to live a pretty healthy life. But then of course there are also those people for whom that is Mm -hmm. not true, who, who struggle with illness with or, or with handicap or whatever the case might be. And what's terrible is in communities where they can't face life for what it is, those people end up being ousted usually passive aggressively, but those people are, are pushed out of the community yeah. eventually because they're a counter witness. You know, th- their lives contradict what we're, what we're saying is true. That, that's, a, that's the tragedy that, that yeah, really you're right. And,
0: me. Um, uh, my mom, who's struggled with uh, chronic illness for uh, many yeah. years, um, has talked about how people with chronic illnesses are often we want to kind of push them outside of, like their own little leper community because it sometimes reminds yep. us that, like, that that could be me. And there's, there's no real difference yes. in what I did to get the cards that were dealt to me than to them. And so, so you're right. We kind of push them away. Okay. I got a bunch of things we're going to talk about. So we're going to transition again. Are you okay with that? All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, this is great. Okay. We're, this is kind of the same category. But uh, you say that formation happens uh, almost entirely below the level of our conscious awareness and it takes time. And so contemplation, like, you have this great line that it frees me from slavery to craving and fantasies. Uh, it gets us away from from fear, but it's happening like this subconscious thing that we're not always aware of. When, like, yeah. how do we look back and go, wow, God's spirit has been at work in me. I, it's, I don't want to say we have to confirm it, but to acknowledge, like to have our own, like, Ebenezer, like a stone of remembrance, like this is what God's work has done in changing my my, my character and, and my my reordering of my loves, as Augustine would talk about. What, what can help us yeah. do that if this formation process has always happened subconsciously?
1: You're right. Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I, here I'm pushing back against a lot of the kind of current talk about formation because I think so much of the talk about formation is about it's about usefulness. What are the things we can do that guarantee certain outcomes? In this case, spiritual formation as an outcome. And it seems to me that, that you don't want to pursue spiritual formation that way. That what I want to do is pursue God and neighbor. In the process of loving God and neighbor, I will be formed. But I don't have to attend to my formation in that way. I, I think when it's when it's healthiest... I'm just loving God and loving neighbor, trying to live life as well as I can, as faithfully as I can. And it's people around me, my spiritual director, my friends, my wife, my children, who notice the Mm -hmm. formation in me and point it out. I think there's something, to me, there's something unhealthy about constantly reflecting on myself and my spiritual formation, where I'm kind of always, you know, checking my Mm -hmm. pulse spiritually and I I want to move away from that. I, I want to live with a certain kind of self unawareness. Mm. I'm more aware of God, more aware of my neighbor. Kind of forgetting myself. One points out to me something that's happened in my life or is happening, and I'm self aware suddenly, and I can appreciate what God has done and is doing, and be grateful for it, and and then get right of taking care of people and loving loving God.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, we're gonna do rapid fire because there's we got to talk about some stuff. Okay, okay. Uh, here's a quote from the book about uh, knowing God. Paul had to explain the truth of God to people who readily admitted that they didn't know yet that they didn't yet know. We have to rediscover the truth of a God we've mistakenly presumed to understand. All right, it seems like the task of forgetting and then rediscovering God and might even be more arduous than starting from scratch. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to suggest, yes. And so that's the game that we're playing right now? I think so. That we're all in?
1: I think so. I think, like, right now, preachers, pastors, theologians, poets, I mean, our job right now is is to talk about God in ways people don't recognize. Hmm. And if, we, if we're not doing that, we're not doing our job, uh, in, as I see it.
0: Tell me more about uh, what they don't recognize. Are, are we trying to come in from the side angle so they don't get it, or just a new picture of who God is?
1: Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. Like, I think there are things that need to be said that aren't getting said at all, and then there are things that need to be said in new ways. So Jensen has this wonderful line where he says, the gospel, precisely to be itself, can never be said the same way twice. Hmm. And that that interests me. That seems right to me, that hmm. the moment we start and he gives the example of justification by faith. He says uh, Luther rediscovered Paul calling for justification by faith and set free a generation. And then Lutherans received justification by faith and put generations in bondage. So it's the same idea but it it has an entirely different outcome. And I yep. think I and I think something like that is true of a lot of our traditions that emerged recently. Like I think early Pentecostalism was was as I read it, was a work of the spirit, but it quickly, quickly became about something else for so many people, and yep. what we made of it was something altogether different. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, some of our job is is to free ourselves up from the way we've used the language.
0: Mm. You've got this great prayer from Eckhart in there that uh, yeah. Eckhart's prayer has to become our own. God, as you really are, r- rid us of God as we imagine you to be. Yep. Yeah. That's not easy. No, That's not, and so, no. no. Uh, I, I sure haven't figured out how to do that yet. Um but you uh jump into the way of understanding God in your word is negation. Some people talk about the like the apophatic yeah. tradition of like knowing God by what God isn't. Yes. And so you have this great metaphor of a chalkboard. And so we we draw the circle and there's a bunch of stuff inside the circle We say, you know, this is this is my, my family and this is my work and right. this is what I do. And then God is the biggest X in the middle of the circle. But you say that doesn't work where God is the biggest X inside the circle. That's right. Does God exist? Where does God exist?
1: Well, God doesn't exist at all. God is the source of existence. So he's intimately related to everything that exists as the source and the, and their guide and their fulfillment, but he's not one of the things that exists. You know, that's why we should never make priority lists. I mean, God's not the top of my priority. Pri- that's not, he's not my top priority. That's not how things work with God. I think God is in everyone and everything. I mean, I should be attending to God in everything I do, mm-hmm. whatever my priority list is.
0: But the priority list is like, okay, God is most important, then then family, and then flowers, and then work or whatever. Like, right. I don't know what, what the right. three and four are. But it seems to be a way of saying, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray today. I'm going to go to church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give money. What's the limitation of that? yeah i
1: i think that it's it's falsely identifying a set of religious practices with loving god as if that's something different from taking care of the person next to me loving my wife buying flowers for her or mm-hmm. you know going to visit the my sick friend in the hospital or or going to the prison to visit someone i mean i think that yeah. these or, or just sitting down to coffee with, with a friend. I mean these, these mm-hmm. things seem – I don't think there's a line where you can say religious practices on this side of the line, that's about loving God and everything else is just about life in the world. Uh, that seems like yeah. a, a mistaken scheme to me.
0: Yeah. Okay, so here's another quote. Uh, No feelings, however profound, ever bring us nearer to God or God to us. In the same way, no lack of feelings can take us away from God. Nothing can separate us from the love that holds us in being least of all our feelings. This is why St. John of the Cross says that God is nearest to us when we are least aware of it. Yeah. Okay, some jaws are on the ground and they got to pick the brain that fell out of their mouth. Like that doesn't make sense to me. When I feel God is closest, it seems like God is there. What's the what's the flaw in that?
1: Yeah, well, so I think some of it is imagine to to play on an image that CS Lewis gives us. You know, you can you can look at the light. You can see a beam of light, for instance. But it's an altogether different experience to be in the light and to be fully lit up. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a way in which God is, when he's closest to us, he's the light that's lighting everything else up. We can see for the first time. And we're not thinking about the light itself. We're, for the first time, seeing all these things we we should have seen all along. Mm -hmm. And... In a very real sense, that's because the light is present to everything. It's present to us. It's present to the objects that we're seeing. It's filled the room. Whereas if I'm just seeing the light, then everything else is still in darkness. Hmm. You know, Like if I'm looking at the light, I'm, I'm not seeing everything else. I'm, in a sense, blinded by the light. We could sing a few bars of that.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, rapid fire. We're going faster now. Confession of sin. In worship, when we confess sin, we're not engaging in self-hatred or self-abuse. Just the opposite. When I confess my sin, what am I doing if it's not self-hatred or self-abuse?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think all that sin is, is what it is in our life that's dehumanizing us, that's stripping us of the, the life that God purposes for us and our neighbor. And so getting rid of my sin, naming it for what it is, is about naming the inhumanity in me, naming that in me that is a betrayal of mm-hmm. who I am and a betrayal of who my neighbor is, mm-hmm. and so that's you know that's making me more. It's humanizing me, right? It's yep. making me more of more of the person I I'm, I want to be.
0: Yeah, and same way the same. It, it's like this: the, the theology of negation, like, yeah. this is not who I am. To, to, to yes. call that sin is, this is not who I am that's in so my truest sense. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, um, you use male pronouns for God. Yeah. Tell me about your choice in doing that.
1: Yeah, so I just actually talked about this today in the class. I mean, I, I don't... My read of it is that God... When we call God Father, for instance, I don't think there's any metaphorical content to that at all like i don't think god is male or masculine and i don't think god needs masculine language to get said what he needs to get said i do it primarily because i think to do otherwise to use the impersonal pronoun or the feminine pronoun generates unnecessary conflict Mm -hmm. Uh, i i mean i have done it in the past in some of my books i've referred to God as she. I don't like that some people refer to the Holy Spirit as she and the Father and the Son as he, but to me that reinforces the very problem we have. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Um I think in some ways we're stuck with with bad language either way. I'm I'm choosing the lesser of three evils, I guess. For mm-hmm. me, it is too impersonal. She is unnecessarily provocative. I want to provoke in other ways. And I feel like that is such a strong provocation for people. They wouldn't hear my other provocations.
0: Uh I I think you're pretty right about that. I try just to get away from pronouns as much as I can. Yeah, that's fair too. The the problem is it becomes so impersonal. Right. And God's self, uh I am picking the evil. I know that the, the shortcoming is it's not as personal. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. I mean they're all they're it's it's broken language. Okay. You said on Twitter. Ananias and Sapphira, that that Peter is the one who struck him dead.
1: Yeah. Do you, so, do you hold to that? Man, this like, got me all kinds. This got me into all kinds of trouble.
0: Well, I had to preach the sermon like three weeks after that, and I was like, "Oh, Chris is messing me up." <laughs> true or false? Peter killed Ananias and Sapphira. I,
1: the text doesn't say true or false. I can't answer that. I, the text just says they fell dead. I I am bothered by the fact that he didn't handle that moment differently i mean who am i to question the apostle peter right (laughs) but it does bother
0: you know who you are you're the world's smartest pentecostal (laughs) that's who you don't you dare forget that
1: no i I just i mean i understand how in some ways ludicrous right but where do
0: you get the agency to peter like i've never seen and never thought about him having that control
1: oh but we see that all the way through the the prophetic tradition where prophets have this kind of authority it's obviously god's authority but they're they're kind of they're it's given to them and they can kind of use it as they want and at the very least peter anticipates that god is going to kill them at, at least the mm-hmm. fire he knows what's going to happen and he doesn't do anything about it so either yeah. he's so in that sense he is if he's not the agent of it he's at least not an agent of interceding in the way that Moses intercedes when he sees that God is going to kill Mm -hmm. and Abraham intercedes when he sees God is going to destroy Sodom. It -hmm. just seems like a very un like response to me.
0: Let me tell you, it might be an un like response, but the Sunday that I preached about Ananias and Sapphira – is the biggest offering we've had all year. <laughs> I'm just saying that happened. That's true. So whatever Peter did, it's on. I mean, Ananias and fire didn't work out too well for them, but our contribution was great. Okay, final thing. We'll get you out on this. What it, like what would we have to offer you to get you to come over to the Churches of Christ and to leave Assemblies of God? Like <laughs> like what do we like tenure track? Like a I don't know. I mean, better office. Yeah. Uh, we've got Pepperdine University, which is in Malibu. That's like impressive. Florida. Yeah. Florida's nice maybe we could get you out there? Like, what would we need to do to sweeten the pot to get you to Churches of Christ? Oh, man. Hold can you sing a cappella? Yeah, sure. You look like you can sing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I won't, if that's what you're about <laughs> to set me up for, but... No, I'm... Okay, good. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I think I'm so... You know, C.S. Lewis has that line about how we're far too easily pleased. I mean, I'm... I'm easy to please, right? So, I mean, just uh a...
0: so you're saying there's a chance
1: there. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> probably much easier than you, than you can imagine. And, and besides they're probably my, my tribe wants to get rid of me. So that, that, I'll, oh. I'll be forced out.
0: Free agent. free agent, free agent. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, remember that Chris Green, the new book, surprised by God. Uh, it, it's good. The, the, uh, the music, the singing book. Uh, what's the other one? The sound of music book. The, the sound of music. There it is. That The, one's, end, of, I, the
1: end is music.
0: Okay, same thing. Either one. Buy, buy all three of those, and people will be happy. Um, Chris, thanks for the time. Awesome, Good man. talking it's with fun, you. It's
1: fun fun as always. I'll talk to you again.
0: All right, see you, brother. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.